Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So good to be with you. Today's topic is Sabbath Part 2, A Taste of Eternity. That's Sabbath Part 2, A Taste of Eternity. Now, this message has an angle on Sabbath uh, that's quite different. It's flowing out of Isaiah chapter 58, where Isaiah writes, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and if you honor it by not going your own way, and then he goes into all these implications. And basically, uh, so much happens on Sabbath, according to Isaiah, and, and it's, I found it to be true, that there, of course there's inner transformation in us, absolutely. But then Isaiah talks about our we end up loving our enemies, which is a key measure of spiritual maturity. We end up loving the poor and marginalized. Uh, there's clear darkness, there's clear guidance in the darkness of life that that you know, comes our way. There's blessings he talks about of God's power and supply and fresh resources like water into a garden. And you have an overflow of delight in us. And and then he, as I talks about, there's also power then to rebuild and restore ruined places. I think of like the workplace and neighborhoods. And then there's free flowing joy and fellowship with God and feasting that no circumstance will crush. I mean, what a life. Now, the truth is the lives of most People, and perhaps some of you listening today, uh, is hectic. Life is fast-paced, and we end up feeling sometimes like we're on a runaway train, and we're not sure how to get off. Uh, it's like an adrenaline addiction, and, uh, and busyness of life, just it just it takes us away from God. It becomes a defense mechanism and a wall that's got to come down. Uh, this is no small thing, and my experience in teaching on Sabbath for years is the vastness of the topic, of course, but that many leaders, uh, pastors, and then many people in general, they believe in Sabbath. They love the idea, but they still don't do it. I know folks who preach on it still don't do it. But we learn from the prophets like Jeremiah and Nehemiah and Amos and Isaiah that uh, this is no small task. This is a large spiritual issue. There's multiple reasons why that happens, and it surely cuts to the core of our spirituality. So again, this message on Sabbath you're going to hear today, A Taste of Eternity, uh, is going to approach this text from a variety of fresh ways for you, I trust. And so for those of you, especially for those who are starting uh, to practice Sabbath, or you want to get started in practicing Sabbath, let me invite you to pick up our new ebook that we're just, we just released, you know, free for you. It's called Four Countercultural Practices to Start and Keep a Biblical Sabbath. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash Sabbath and download it and read it. You'll find it very, very helpful. Again, we're so excited about this new resource, resource for you and many others to help folks get started uh, and entering into the gifts that God has for us to receive out of Sabbath that we can then offer those gifts to all those around us. So again, emotionallyhealthy.org slash Sabbath. But for now, let's get into this wonderful, rich text out of Isaiah 58 that offers us an insight into Sabbath as a taste of eternity. Enjoy. And so, Lord, as we just sang this beautiful song, captivate us by the Holy Spirit, by your word, draw us close to your bosom, to your hearts. May we melt in your arms, Lord. May we experience a a union, a taste of eternity, a taste of heaven here this evening together uh, around you. So fill us with your Holy Spirit. Blow your wind of your spirit through this place, touching every one of us right where we are, that we might be drawn to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay, now, I'm going to give you the top ten reasons why you need a Sabbath. 
Number 10, you need a Sabbath because the only time you're alone may be when you are in the bathroom. Number nine, you need a Sabbath because it takes you over 60 minutes to fall asleep at night because your mind is racing with all the things you didn't get done that day. Number eight, you need a Sabbath because you think rest is standing still in traffic. Number seven, you need a Sabbath because you go to check your email for just a moment in the middle of the day and you find you're still there an hour later and you have not finished going through your emails. You know you need a Sabbath when you cannot remember anything you ate in the last three days. You know you need a Sabbath when you drive upstate and an hour later you arrive at your destination and you have no idea how you got there. You know you need a Sabbath when you are unsure what day it is. You know you need a Sabbath when you are angry, when you meet somebody who is content and enjoying life. And number two, you know you need a Sabbath when you cannot remember the last time that you sat down and actually ate breakfast. And then finally, number one reason you need a Sabbath is because you tweet during movies, you text during dinner, you read email during meetings and classes, and you learn about your spouse's day on Facebook. <laughs> so our goal and our choice to, to pick this one spiritual formation discipline called Sabbath keeping for Lent was because our desire is to slow you down so that you're attentive to God. That's our goal, that you be cultivating and developing your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that Sabbath would be a means to slow you down, uh, a powerful means, and uh, that you would engage in it. We didn't do it as a community and supporting each other. And, and so we've talked about Sabbath with these four general guidelines of stop, rest, delight, and contemplate as a way to help you and help us shape our days to actually engage in, in this discipline. And so it's a gift to receive. We focused on that. And we want to encourage you, you know, read this little booklet, go on the website, look at the previous sermons. We had a panel discussion. There's frequently asked questions. There's some books you can buy in the back, even a T-shirt, I'm told. I'm watching some people with their Sabbath T-shirts. God bless you, are out here. And uh, again, we, we've encouraged everyone. We have a candle to start with a candle. Actually, at 6 p.m., whether it's, again, Saturday to Sunday or Friday to Saturday. I met a couple of doctors during first service who serve, who's, every week their, their rotations are different. Can't even have a day set day every week. So that's very difficult. Some of you are in that situation and you've got to make the best of it, work with spouses with different schedules. And as Jackie showed us a few weeks ago on her panel, her and her husband actually meet on a certain evening with their Sabbaths because of work schedules. But you've got to experiment and work this thing out. But we're encouraging everyone, start with a candle just to have a sense of beginning. Maybe say a prayer, read a scripture, something. Then of course, blow it out. It's okay, you've begun your Sabbath. And then at the end of your Sabbath, 24 hours later, light a candle once again to bring it to a, a conclusion. And as you do that, you can remember there's hundreds and hundreds of other people doing it as well at the same time. All right, now to under, to, to, it's very been wonderful to read people's blogs, and I encourage you, write your questions and observations and blogs on the website. It's been fascinating. But this is a challenging, difficult discipline to, or practice to actually get into your life in a way that fits who you are. But don't be surprised by that because... As Sabbath was introduced by God uh, to the Israelites, it was after 400 years that they had been in slavery. In other words, there was no day off for 400 years. Talk about a family genogram. 
Uh, there was no rhythms to their lives. It was just work every single day. They were machines. They, their only value of existence was to produce and to do. There wasn't any delight in their life. There wasn't any rest. There wasn't any contemplation of God that was structured anyway. And there wasn't any stopping of their work. They were simply slaves. So when God saved them and set them free and made them his people, now loving them by grace, the problem was they still had a slave identity in them. They were free, but they lived like slaves. And so God gave at Mount Sinai 3,500 years ago to the Jewish people the Ten Commandments. The center of the Ten Commandments is Sabbath. It's the fourth one. It actually takes up a third of the space of the Ten Commandments. It's that important. And most rabbis will tell you, you can't keep the other nine without that Sabbath. Because it slows you down to be attentive to God. Uh, and, but Israel struggled with walking out this commandment. I mean, so, so, so if you're wrestling with it, we're doing this for seven weeks during Lent. Do not be surprised. If things are happening, say, what a disaster. And I had a few people tell me that today. Wonderful spouses fighting, yelling at kids, and all of that. As you're trying to sort out your pathway to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate God. But uh, this wasn't quick for them in Israel. It was not going to be quick for us. Uh, and uh, we've got to cultivate our taste buds. And today's message is actually called Sabbath, Time to Taste Eternity. And that's, that's, a, that's the phrase I want you to to grab onto tonight. Sabbath, time to taste eternity. That's what it is meant to be. And so I'm hoping this evening through Isaiah 58 to deepen your understanding of Sabbath and to actually broaden it. And you will find as you engage in this simple but very powerful spiritual discipline, it gets richer, broader, higher, and deeper as the years pass. That's why there are volumes and volumes and volumes written about Sabbath-keeping among Orthodox Jews and has for thousands of years. And, uh, and so our text here is Isaiah 58. That's what I'd like us to read, verses 13 to 14. Isaiah's writing here, a thousand years, 700, 800 years before Jesus Christ, and he is going after them because they have a, a, a religion, a spirituality that's very negative, very much into denial, there's not a lot of feasting. There's not a lot of joy in it. And they have missed God's intent with Sabbath. Just like the Pharisees in the first century in the time of Jesus had made Sabbath a burden, something legalistic, something joyless, and it's lost its original purpose, which is all about tasting a time to actually taste eternity and experience the living God. So Isaiah writes this very, very prophetic, powerful word, uh, beginning of verse 13. Thus says the Lord, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, circle that word, and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. And he closes, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so what Isaiah says is, listen, he says, you're just, you're just doing as you please. You're treating, you're treating this like any other day, and it's not. He calls it a twice in verse 13. This is a, a holy day. Okay, It's a time that's been set apart by God, and we'll talk about that in just a second. And he says, he says, but if you'll call Sabbath a delight, and actually the word there is exquisite delight, 
And if you keep the Lord's holy day as honorable, and he goes, then he does this tremendous promise, you will experience joy in the Lord. You will actually experience a feast. No circumstance will touch you. Tremendous fruit will flow out of your life that you'll actually be a delight to other people. And so today I want to talk to you about this time thing. It's time, he says, to taste eternity. He calls it here delight. And so I want to break that down because we have a, an earthly understanding of time just like the Egyptians did in, in Israel when the Ten Commandments were originally given. And we have expressions about time. We think we talk things like, oh, if I can only turn time back, or, or time is money, or you know, I'm living on borrowed time, or he's behind the times, or he's ahead of the times, or I'm pressed for time, or you know what, I've got to manage my time or else I'm going to lose my job, or I'm out of time, or I'm killing time, and etc. And, and, uh, and so many people see time as a monster, as a, especially as you get older and you're approaching death, uh, something one dreads because one realizes the limits of time. And, and so, I mean, how many of you would say today, I, I just don't have enough time. I mean, you lost a whole hour today. I mean, how many would say, I don't have enough time? And I could use another, I could use the fall back every week. The other one. Now, to understand the biblical understanding of time, uh, it was really expressed best by Augustine in, in the uh, 400s. And, here, and here's how we explained it. He says, God exists outside of time. There's eternity. There is no time in eternity. When God created the world, he created with the world time. It's created. And before God created the world, there was no such thing as time. There was just eternity. And so heaven, when we get to heaven and we see him face to face, there will not be time. And so Sabbath is a time frame within this thing God created called time. It's a 24-hour period. And uh, that's why when you actually enter into Sabbath and engage it, you'll find yourself sometimes saying, oh my goodness, it's 4 o'clock. I had no idea. Because time just like, you're, you've entered another realm. You've entered into a window of eternity. You've tasted, uh, you've touched the eternal in time. And you've actually lost the sense of time. And so the ancient understanding of time goes back to actually Genesis when God he, he actually, he, he, um, he blesses the seventh day and he made it holy is the word. That's the, that's the word that Isaiah is using here. He says, my holy day. Now, the word holy is a very important word in, in Hebrew. It means separate. It means it's a cut apart. Uh, the Bible teaches holiness in time. That God blessed a 24-hour unit of a seven-day week. He blessed a day. And he says, I make this day holy which means he puts his touch on it, and it's no longer just regular time. It's, it's, it's now extraordinary. It's now set apart. It's a cut above the other six days. And so let me try to break this down. If you, have, if you like steak, you go to your store and you're kind of tight on cash, so you just buy a steak for $1.99 a pound. But then someone says, you know what? You can have filet mignon for $15.99 a pound. It's a cut above the rest of the steak. Okay, it's a, it's a separate quality. Same thing you buy a car. I bought a used car recently, 1996 Honda Civic. Nothing to brag about, a regular car. Some of you may like a 2010 BMW, or you may like a 2010 Mercedes, or you may actually like a Ferrari, which costs $670,000. It's a cut above the Honda Civic, all right? Or if you're into makeup, not that I buy makeup for myself. <laughs> you can buy the regular makeup, like Maybelline. 
okay, at the local drugstore. Or you can buy the makeup that's a cut above. Okay, it's separate. It's Estee Lauder, all right? It costs a little bit more, a little more quality. Now, in the Bible, God declares certain things holy throughout the Old Testament. Holy land, holy covenants, holy tithe, holy people, holy incense, holy altar, holy priest. But the first holy object in history that God declares holy is time. Very significant. The first thing God declares holy, separate, a cut above, is time. Right there in Genesis 2. He says, this is a cut apart. This is separate than the rest of time. And it's this 24-hour period. And so we are to reorient our entire lives around this holy thing called time. Because as we experience that unit of time, we are meant to taste eternity. We are meant to have a window into eternity. We are actually meant to touch the eternal in that time. So that the other six days, we're actually experiencing and tasting eternity. Again, like all spiritual disciplines, the goal of a spiritual discipline is that it informs the other days. I stop in in the morning and I pray. I stop midday and I pray. I stop in the evening and pray. Why? So that when I'm active, I'm, I'm aware of God's presence and I'm communing with him. Same thing with give an offering. I give an offering here on a Sunday evening, but the whole goal is that your whole life is an offering to God. And so spiritual practices are meant to actually infuse your entire life. And so while on Sabbath, there's an invitation to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate, that kind of a quality of tasting eternity is meant to infuse your other six days. All right? So I remember on Sabbath that was God's presence. So, so this time to taste eternity, it's, it's, it's time. Isaiah says, you forgot. You're treating that 24-hour period like any other time frame, and it's not. It's holy. It's separate. It's filet mignon. It's Estee Lauda. It's the Ferrari, not a Honda. And then he says, if you will call my Sabbath a delight. Now, this word delight here is actually a very rich word. It's exquisite delight. It's like the most extreme superlative word in Hebrew for for delight. It's a super delight, a luxurious delight, an exquisite delight. And uh, your, your heart's to be captivated by the delight of eternal things in the midst of your life that are heaven all around you. So, so this wonder and surprises and attentiveness to God is, is to actually fill your Sabbath. So, for example, for me, and Drew mentioned this last week, I, you know, for me on Sabbath, uh, I, I try to taste my food. I mean, like we had a, a kiss last week, a chocolate kiss, you know, that was wonderful. And actually, I got a little buzz from it because I hadn't eaten breakfast. You know, I, I had two kisses by the end of the morning, and I, was, I realized I had a little buzz in my head from the sugar, you know. But that's not the goal. The goal is to actually taste our food and uh, be present with it. I wake up in the morning present to the fact that I'm breathing, present to the fact that I'm alive, present to the fact that I can hear, I can see, I can taste, I, I can move. I'm aware of nature. I actually try to engage in a discipline called slow. There's actually people have written about a spiritual discipline called slow. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. But the discipline of slow is when you get to the grocery store and everybody's online, you actually choose the slow line. You, you choose the longest line. You go to the bank, same thing. You choose the longest line, the discipline of slow. You're driving the car, you actually purposely choose the right lane. And you go slow and everyone's shh, and you're just like, calm down, it's okay. The world's going to be all right. And, um, you know, it's chewing your food longer. It's, it's having transitions before you go from one activity to the next. You know, taking a nice deep breath. It's 
It's kind of like, I like to think of the dis- discipline of slow for me as it's like, kind of like going in slow motion, you know. But it's a great discipline. On Sabbath, I try to remember that discipline called slow. Because it's so opposite New York, you know. Um, I, when I exercise, I actually, I usually when I exercise, um, uh, you know, four or five days a week, I'm normally absorbed and thinking about things as I'm walking. On Sabbath, I actually try to notice things. I notice other people on the path. I, I notice the trees. I, I notice the grass. I notice flowers. And I'll actually slow down on a Sabbath. So I may not get quite the maximum exercise, but I'm Sabbathing. I'm being attentive to, to windows into God through what's around me. Uh, same thing, with, again, with friendships, with my daughters, with, uh, with art, with music. I mean, just the beauty of instruments. You know, to be aware, uh, I mean, if you're, this is part of your Sabbath, and you come to church, and just to, I don't know, I sometimes get overwhelmed with music, just the gift of God in music, just the way it, it carries us to, to a sense of, of God. It's so mysterious to me how God made instruments and God made music and what it does to our souls in a way that intellectual stimulation just cannot do. And uh, I realize it's a gift from God. But everything in our culture fights against this exquisite delight and, and time being holy. Uh, and so uh, some of you may remember when I, when I first started Sabbath, uh, my, my entrance into it, actually, one of my first revelations of Sabbath happened in a McDonald's bathroom. And um, I, I was learning about Sabbath, like you are, you know, the principles, and I was engaging it. And I went to the bathroom and I washed my hands. And you know how you have that machine that you push, you know, the, the hand dryer, and you, you push it and you kind of, you know, wipe your hands on it. And so I'll never forget, I, I, I washed my hands, and um, I, I pushed it, and I always get frustrated because it's so slow. And so what I did was, I, I, and I realized, what I, I was about to do what I normally do, which was I pushed the, the button, and the hand dryer started, and I went like this, and then I, I usually just, I like this, I'm like, <laughs> you know, just, I'm out of here, you know, I, I don't have time for this. And I, 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 really, it was like this Holy Spirit grabbed me. And it was like, hey, it's Sabbath. Where are you going? What are you doing? I'm not doing anything. I'm just, you're wasting time. That's true. I'm just, all right. So I just, I'll never forget. I really pushed that button. I went back, hit it. And I was like, okay, you know. <laughs> now, I want you to understand something. Because I, I did a study on this. It's a very long hand dryer. And actually, you know, here it is. Okay. <laughs> now, now, it takes 44 seconds to dry your hands. Now, that's a long time if you're from New York. I don't know. I can't speak for rural areas or the deep south. All I know is to be at that McDonald's bathroom and sit there, stand there for 44 seconds. People think you're crazy. So, now here's what happened. A couple years ago, um, this fellow created a new machine because this one was too slow. And so, see, you see, for me, and you're going to find this as you enter into Sabbath, there are certain things that are going to be very significant for you. Like they're going to be symbolic for you. For me, washing my hands in a public restroom was like a symbolic act. And so as this new machine got introduced, I realized how the culture is trying to squeeze out of me eternity and time. It's trying to squeeze out that holiness and time as I wash my hands. Trying to squeeze out my delight. I just want to enjoy, you know, this. So this fellow created a machine, and here it is. It's called a Dyson Airblade hairdryer. Some of you have seen it, 
and it releases sheets of air at 400 miles an hour. All right? And this fellow, it says it scrapes water from your hands like a windshield wiper. That's how fast it is. And it's in 10 seconds, it's done. All right, now, I, I don't know if you've ever used that machine, but they're growing in popularity. And so, so for me, I realized there is nothing contemplative about this machine. There is nothing delightful about this machine. In fact, to even put my hands in it, you got to put your hands in it like this. It's actually scary, you know, you're wondering, is this, am I going to come out of this thing alive? And it, to me, it was like, it's symbolic of the culture Everything in the culture is, it's just an ordinary day. It's just, just every day is the same. There is nothing holy in time. There's nothing about the light. Just do, get moving. You got to go, multitask. And I realized they even took away my drying of my hands at McDonald's, you know? So I'm struggling, you know, I'm struggling. So, so, so here's my, you know, you know, I think Sabbath, as William Blake, the great poet, once wrote, I, I, and you, some of you have probably seen this, he says, to see a world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wildflower. Now, you, you reflect on that verse when you're looking at a wildflower or when you're at the beach someday. I'm telling you, he's right. Because time is meant to be a window into eternity. It's meant to be a taste of eternity. Uh, actually, the creation itself, as our taste buds are, are to be modeled. And Wendell Berry, who's written a great book called Life is a Miracle, so one is a believer. And he says, it's possible to spend a lifetime in a Magellanic voyage. Magellan was the Portuguese explorer who circled the earth, if you remember, around the trunk of a single tree. You could spend a lifetime simply observing the trunk of a tree. That's how rich. Some of you are artists. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That's how much wealth, that's the glimpse of eternity that can be found even in a tree trunk, this, this magnificent creation by God. And so there's this holy, exquisite delight time, this taste of eternity that we're to enter into. Now, we can learn a lot from ancient Judaism. Now, understand, this has been a Jewish practice for 3,500 years. And so the, the Talmud, which is, the, which is actually the, the central text of mainstream Judaism and has been for uh, in the last 2,000 years, as they took the oral tradition going back a couple of thousand years, put it in writing 2,000 years ago, and the Talmud is a result. And I encourage you actually go on the website, look at the Talmud. And in the Talmud, you will read volumes about Sabbath because it has been such a central spiritual practice for them for 3,500 years. And we can learn a lot of good things, and we can also, I think, learn a couple of cautions as well. Uh, but one of the, as I, I've been reading for the last few weeks. I've been kind of immersed in it, and it's been fascinating, actually. It helps you, of course, helps you understand Orthodox and Hasidic Jews uh, profoundly. But I, it was some of the quotes, I, I think, that really grabbed me, because I, I've, I, I've learned some of the things just by my experience that they're actually writing about. But watching and reading some of your blogs that you've sent into our website, some of you actually are talking about things that rabbis wrote about 1,500 years ago. It's amazing. I said, these folks have no idea. They're entering an experience that was talked about like in 500 AD, you know, in ancient Babylon. And, and so here's some, some of the great, beautiful lessons. Well, one has to do with, they, they saw Sabbath as preparing for a bride with her entourage coming to the house. Or they saw Sabbath as a queen coming with her entourage to your home. And here's what one rabbi wrote about 1000 AD. He wrote this. Um, be very zealous in making Sabbath day preparations. 
Be prompt and diligent as a man who has heard that a queen is coming to lodge at his house or that a bride with her entire entourage is coming to lodge in his home. Such a man will busy himself in the preparation for Sabbath, even though he has a thousand servants. Sabbath is both a bride and a queen who is called delightful. And then he writes this. He says, when all your work is brought to a standstill, he goes, the candles are lit. It's lovely. Just as creation began with God saying, let there be light. So we light the candle and we celebrate creation and Sabbath rest. And that's why they write about, do not be grieving and mourning your sins. This is not a day for fasting. This is not a day for sadness. In fact, this one rabbi I was reading say, it's a sin to be, you know, sad on Sabbath. And they start arguing. They argue a lot, these rabbis. And it's very interesting. But they saw Sabbath celebration as a bride wedding celebration. And so they, they, they talk about Sabbath coming like a bride dressed in perfume. And that one, that Sabbath is like the presence of God in the world. And it's possible for the soul to respond to an affection to Sabbath coming. And so there's this whole longing for Sabbath, like a bride or a queen coming to your home. And that this longing is actually a taste of the fact that we long to see him face to face. We long for heaven. Some of us don't long for heaven. We don't think about heaven. We're so absorbed in earth. But our lives are be looking for him and his return. Sabbath is a taste of longing for Jesus. We long for Sabbath on a small scale to taste eternity because our whole lives are to be a longing for our eternal Sabbath. And so, this, as Eugene Peterson says, Sabbath, observing Sabbath is a workshop to practice eternity. You actually are practicing life in eternity. And as one Orthodox uh, rabbi of our last generation wrote, if you do not relish and enjoy the taste of Sabbath while you're still in the world, Unless you can appreciate eternal life now on Sabbath, you will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. And as he says, sad is the person who will arrive into heaven inexperienced in tasting eternity. And so we are to taste heaven on Sabbath. We are to taste eternity on Sabbath. We get taste, but we long for what is to come. Now, this is a very powerful spiritual discipline. It's been wonderful to hear so many responses from all of you. But there's also great dangers. And I am concerned, to be honest, as we've unleashed this into new life in, in, a, in, a, in a forceful way, I think with this church-wide initiative, I am aware of the dangers of legalism. And actually reading the history uh, in, in the Talmud really made me concerned. And I am in no interest in, in, in judging what's legalism, what's not for other people. I just know my own legalism. But when you read the Talmud, they have 39 uh, prohibitions, things that you are not to do on Sabbath because they're work. And this goes back a couple thousand years, and, and the list has 39 items, and it's things like plowing the earth, sowing, reaping, threshing, baking, washing wool, spinning, weaving, sewing stitches, etc., lighting a fire. And then what you have over the, over the generations, they would write commentary on applying those 39 prohibitions and, and what it meant to break Sabbath. And so you got volumes of what this means. So what this has turned out to be, like in our day, for example, for, for, for some Orthodox Jewish communities or Hasidic communities, it, it's prohibited to turn electric devices on and off on, on Sabbath. And can't use electricity because electricity has a circuit and it breaks the prohibition of, of kindling a fire. Because the circuit breakers are working. 
And uh, in fact, you, some of you, some, some of you know, it's like in some Orthodox hospitals, uh, you get, they will get in the elevator. They will not push the button because that's work. Someone else, or the, the elevator is actually automatic, goes up one floor at a time because touching that button would be work. Uh, driving a car or a bus violates multiple prohibitions of the 39. And so you'll notice in some Hasidic communities, people must live near the synagogue because they have to be able to walk. Because when you start that car, you're igniting a fire. Fire is work, thus sin, breaking Sabbath. Same thing with riding a bus. Uh, erasing. You, you can erase one letter, but you cannot erase two. You erase two or three, you are working. You are not to use a stapler on Sabbath because that would be like sewing things together. You are not to glue or to tape either. And the list goes on. And so, and so they have Sabbath clocks and Sabbath things, things that work you know, automatically so that there's timers so no one has to use human intervention to work. And, and it goes on and on and on and on. Now, I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't think we should either judge people for being legalistic. I don't think we should judge each other. I just know one thing. I know how easily I become a legalistic Pharisee. I am the chief of all Pharisees. We've all got some Pharisee in us. And as you get into Sabbath, it's very important one becomes aware of it. Because anything powerful can be twisted and abused and become the new legalism. And Sabbath is no exception. And so something that's meant to be delightful can all of a sudden become a burden. So I, I know for me, so it's like, oh, oh, okay, Pete, you know, I, I'm going to go check my computer out, you know, and, and, you know, look up something. Maybe plays on Broadway or just go to my computer. Ah, ah Pete, can you go to, that's bad, bad computer. Don't touch that computer, you know, and, or I got, you know, go put gas in the car, ah, put gas in the car. That's work. Pete, don't do that. You know, you, and before you know, oh, I cooked, I cooked my kid's pizza yesterday. Now, cooking's not one of my favorite activities, but hey, you know what? I had to cook pizza for the kids. Ah, you're going to starve. You know what? Go fend for yourselves. I'm not going to work on my Sabbath. <laughs> or you see your child riding a bicycle. Stop that. Get off that bike. It's work on the Sabbath, you know. And for those of you who are parents here, we can be deadly to ruin Sabbath for our kids. You know, versus ride your bike. God bless you, you know. But I, I, I can so easily feel bad. And I'm already catching some of you feeling guilty for not having done something you would have liked on Sabbath. And all of a sudden, something that was delightful is now a burden. Or you miss Sabbath for whatever reason, you know. I didn't light my candle on time. Who cares? You know, it's like, hey, it's a candle, all right? It's not the Sabbath. Or, or you know, you miss there. It's only a half a day Sabbath. And before you know it, you're feeling awful about yourself. You feel like God's mad at you. No wonder the trains are late. No wonder everything's going bad at work. Because I missed my Sabbath yesterday. Before you know it, you're in this new legalism. Then they got to do double next week to make up for the one you missed this week. And Listen, I had, I had a situation where my neighbor started basically going after me about Christ. And I'm like, back off, okay, right now. This is my Sabbath. And uh, let alone I'm going to share the gospel with you. I'll talk to you tomorrow, you know. <laughs> and do you understand? That's exactly what the Pharisees did. They wouldn't help an ox get out of a hole in the ground. Because it was work on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, you missed the boat. Jesus would call the man with a withered hand up and healed him on the Sabbath. He goes, God gave Sabbath as a gift. What are you doing? You're missing the whole point. I heard someone say, I can't have hospitality. I can't welcome people to my house. It's too much work. I said, oh, my goodness, what happened? I'm creating mini Pharisees here. <laughs> so one lesson we can learn from 3,500 years of history is, and I think Jews have had to wrestle with this, is to be very careful, as Jesus says, you were not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for people. It's a gift. Mark 2, 27. It's a gift to be received. 
Now you don't receive the gift one week. Relax, you'll get it next week. But you don't live under this pressure and this burden where something that's a gift from God suddenly becomes a heavy yoke. And you're saying, why did I ever get myself into this? And so we want to stick with the principles. That's why for us at New Life, you know, here we are in a 21st century New Life Fellowship Church as a community. We want to grab Sabbath as a time to taste eternity. That's our goal. Okay, it's a, it's a time that's separate. It's a cut apart. It's distinct. And you choose that rhythm of time for you and, and try as best you can at the same time every week. But as Paul says in Romans 14, hey, let's not fight over the day. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. It's the principle you're trying to get at. And so, so really, we've talked about stopping. And, and, and I think we realize that delighting is the key word. It's the operative word. We are to delight in stopping our work. We are to delight in resting from our work. We are to delight in playing, delight in delighting. Playing is Eugene Peterson's word. What do you like? Play. God plays over his creation the first Sabbath. What gives you joy and delight? Is it art? Is it music? Is it softball? Play and enjoy the gift of life on Sabbath. And then we delight in contemplation. Hopefully this is part of your Sabbath, perhaps, or the end of your Sabbath, but we delight in God. This is part, coming to church is part of that Sabbath, hopefully for, for most of you in this room. The biblical contribution, the uniqueness of the scriptural teaching on Sabbath, this is what, what Isaiah is trying to get at, is saying, you are not like the Persians. You are not like the Babylonians. You are God's people, and you've been rescued out of Egypt. And you see time differently. It's holy, it's set apart, and it's also, it's, um, uh, it's delightful. And so this is not going to be easy for us. Did I go out? Is my microphone still on? We, 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 we recognize it just like it was for ancient Israel. It is going to be difficult for us to incorporate this practice into our lives. It's going to take a lot of trial and error. And those of you with small children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is a massive change for our lives of slowing down. And so we invite you, at least for the next now three, four remaining weeks, do the candle. Just remember, oh, the rest of new life is doing it. I'll join in with them and uh, find your way. But expect and remember, you've got hundreds and hundreds of years in your culture and your family of origin of ignoring the idea of one 24-hour period being set apart as a window to taste eternity and for God. So this is a whole new thing. Do not expect it like tomorrow to click into your life. That is not the way it's going to flow out. So in closing, Isaiah 58, I want to invite you to read the whole chapter. It's a wonderful, wonderful chapter. And he gives promises in this chapter that are actually astounding. And uh, he captures, he says, he says three things. He says, if you can capture the true meaning of Sabbath, which is the text we read, verses 13 and 14. And then he says, if you can capture that true spirituality out of Sabbath is loving your enemies. We preached on that in December. And if you can capture that true spirituality is loving the poor and the marginalized. Those are actually the three qualities. He joins these three things together. Sabbath, loving your enemies, and loving the poor and marginalized. He goes, that's the true evidence of a spirituality walking out. He says, if you'll do these things, he says, here's what's going to get released in your life. He says, you're going to have clear guidance. Light will shine in the darkness for you. He says, you will have such a fresh supply of God's spirit and resources and power that your life will be a source of delight to everyone you touch. In fact, if you will do these things, you will rebuild the ruined places. You'll go into workplaces and you'll be a rebuilder of what's chaotic. 
You'll go into your family. You'll go into your neighborhood. You'll go into your school. You'll be a person that rebuilds broken runes. And then finally he says in chapter, verse 14, he says, you will ride on the heights of the land if you grab hold of the Sabbath thing. In other words, no circumstance is going to bury you. By the grace of God, even amidst great suffering, you'll be able to ride with God above it. And you will feast in an intimacy, in a fellowship with the Lord God Almighty like you have never known. And so God invites us today, friends, to stand still before the Lord and to embrace the presence of eternal moments. Yes, on Sabbath, but really for all of our lives. Because eternity is planted inside of your heart. And Sabbath is meant to pull it out. Not that Maybe it's been crushed. That those seeds of eternity in your soul might come alive. And you might fall passionately in love with, with uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. 